It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study we're glad you're a part of it tonight on the program we're on your computer it is june 5th 2008 and we're live thank you for taking time out of your thursday evening to study the bible with us my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you on thursday as always for our internet bible study uh and we are grateful for all who are out there listening tonight we do hope you have your bibles open as we look to god's word to find out what he wants from us in our lives and we do have an interesting discussion plan for tonight jacob we've got a special guest uh that's going to talk with us about a book he's recently written i gotta get that out here in a minute perry c cotham is with us on the telephone perry are you listening can you hear us good evening to both of you welcome perry we're we're glad to have you here i guess we should say happy anniversary hey well thanks (laughs) yeah we when we uh, were corresponding earlier you said you had a an anniversary to celebrate today but thought you'd be able to spend just a few minutes with us on the program we appreciate that Tomorrow night on a Friday night is a better night for a date anyway, so this is just fine. I'm not sacrificing. Well, we saved you some money tonight, Perry. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, can you send me some money for tomorrow? That would help. I, I know that a lot of our listeners will, will recognize the name Perry Cotham, and we were talking just before we went on the air, Perry. Your father, also a gospel preacher, who wrote a lot of gospel tracks. I, I've seen them in track racks for years. In fact, our own track rack here at College View in Columbia, Tennessee, uh-huh. contains tracks written by your father. He was Perry B. Cotham, and you are Perry C. Cotham. That's correct. Uh-huh. All right. And you have written a number of books. I think you told me 15 or 16 different books that you've authored. That's correct. They're not all in the area of religion, but, but altogether, that's how many there are. Uh, yeah, and you are a preacher and also a professor, I believe, at MTSU? Well, I do. Yeah, I'm an adjunct professor at two or three different schools. Uh, Middle Tennessee is one place, also at Lipscomb. And then Nashville State, which is a community college here in Nashville. So these are all part-time jobs. You add them up, it is more than a full-time job. And, and you're preaching, and you're preaching for a small congregation in yeah, Williamson small County. Called Owen Chapel in Brentwood here, yeah, yeah, uh, Middle Tennessee, and, and um, yeah, in the Nashville area. Well, we're glad that you take a uh, willing to take a few minutes of your time to discuss with us this most recent book that you've written. Uh, we we were alerted to it by an article in the Nashville Tennessean. Uh, written by Ray Waddle, in which he gave a, a brief review of the book. Uh-huh. Um, and the book is entitled One World, Many Neighbors. Right. Tell us a little bit about the book, about your motivation for, for writing it. Well, all right. I'll, I'll go back to September 11, 2001. And we, every American adult, at least, knows what happens on that day. And I became aware when you, you hear a lot of discussion after that um, terrible event took place that it became obvious that so many Americans knew very little about Islam, and that would even include myself. And um, that's the more I thought about it, and I was becoming to an appreciation of the different ways people in the world see reality, and that just sort of got me moving. And I was assigned to teach a class uh, one term over at Lipscomb in worldviews, and I thought I would just try to write a workbook that the students could use. I had about 40 people in that class, and 
I just began to do some writing, and the more I studied, the more I took interest in that in that topic. So the book uh, began around that time, uh, oh, five or six years or so ago, and I, I would just uh, study. I teach a course in world religions over at Lipscomb uh, at, at the current time. And uh, I guess I was just preparing something that could be a textbook for those students in, in that class. But I just realized um, how many people, even uh, Christians, were largely uninformed about other major religions in the world. And it was almost like an arrogant uh, approach, uh, seeing their own faith as maybe the only important one in the world, without realizing how much other religions have uh, motivated and impacted other people in the world who, with whom we have to deal. I mean, the, the world has shrunk in, in, the sense, in a figurative sense. Uh, we're all interconnected, and globalism is a reality. And so I just came to the conviction that we all need to try to understand each other. Uh, we're not all going to agree, but at least maybe we can be civil and engage in good dialogue and learn from each other. And, me... so, and also, I didn't know of a book quite like what I've got either. I think it's it's unique out there. I mean, there are books in other religions for sure, but the approach that I attempted to take, I think, is unique in the Christian um, evangelical market out there. So all those were driving factors for me in doing that book. When Ray Waddle wrote a, a review of your book, he said, and I'm not sure, I don't think this is a direct quote from your book, but in his article he said that you say, in other words, he's paraphrasing you, Christians have much to learn from other world or other viewpoints, Buddha, Muhammad, Socrates, Gandhi, Judaism, while proclaiming Jesus's distinctive truth, and that we should stop being so argumentative. Now, um, I'm, I might ask you a question about the choice of His word. And I don't know if it's your choice or not. Christians have much to learn from other viewpoints. Now, I would agree if you change that word. Christians have much to learn about other viewpoints. Now, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with you that we need to be informed about other world religions, uh-huh. about what people are saying and teaching and doing religiously. I think it serves us well to be informed. But what, do you, what if Waddle's uh, estimation is right, that you think we should learn from these other viewpoints, what, what do, you, do you understand the subtlety of the difference in wording there that I'm... Well, it's very subtle when you're looking at two... Um prepositions right there, and I hadn't even thought about scrutinizing the prepositions that, that closely, but just as um, Jesus, for example, in talking to people, I think mostly there were Pharisees uh, in the audience, and he was taking a very centrist approach to them. He talked about other people that were not of the Jewish faith. He even referred to the Queen of Sheba, as I recall, and he talked about some people, did he refer to uh, people? some people in Solomon and Gomorrah? I'm not, well, I, I really hadn't planned to address that here. I haven't uh, studied that just recently. But the point is, I think it is possible, just as the Apostle Paul quoted certain secular poets in his sermon on Mars Hill, I think there's always maybe something we can learn from at least the major worldviews that are out there. Maybe we can learn more about um, piety from certain uh, Hindus, maybe more about respect for God's name from certain Muslims. Uh, maybe some of them do a better job than Christians do with their beliefs sometimes. And I, and I know we're speaking generalities here. We're not, you know, you know, there's exceptions to any generality that you throw out there. Sure, but but sure. That, that's what I mean, that, that maybe they set some examples for us. I really believe that the average mainstream Muslim does a better job respecting God's name than maybe the mainstream people within the Christian community. 
Uh, you know, no, you wouldn't find, find any uh, Muslims taking the Lord's name in vain, typically, and a lot of people who call themselves Christians do that with regularity. Well, that or they may go support movies where God's name is used in curse words and uh, all kinds of profanity, for sure, and just sort of laugh it off as though, um, you know, that's just part of life. But, but I've known of some Muslim students who, if they have the name Allah in their paper, will not slip that paper under the door of a professor if it's after hours because they'll say that paper has Allah's name on, on there and it's going to sit on the floor overnight till the teacher picks it up the next day and I'm not going to do that. That's just one example right there. And maybe they're extremists the other way. I'm not saying, you know, it'd be wrong to have the name of God on a piece of paper and it's lying on the floor until someone picks it up. But, but I'm just saying maybe, maybe there is something that we can learn from. And I agree both uh, about them. I mean, that may be a better preposition, but I'm, uh, I'm not uncomfortable with having used the word from. That may not, again, may not be from that book. It could be an interview I had with Ray Waddle. What, what about the idea of uh, stop being argumentative, though? Should we not argue our faith that Jesus is? Now, first of all, let's back up one step. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that you agree that Jesus is the only way to God. And, uh, yes. Uh, and so um, should we not argue that point? I mean, when you say stop being argumentative, uh, explain explain what you would what, what you would mean by that. As, uh, I, I think we're looking at connotation of words right here. I okay. think argumentative has the connotation of uh, some degree of um, arrogance and only getting one side out and hardly listening to the other side. It's true that in the highest tradition, the word argue is a very noble word, and it represents marshalling the best arguments one way or the other um, and letting them clash in uh, an open dialogue. So, yes, that kind of that kind of argument is fine. Argumentative sort of has a connotation of bickering and arrogance and, and that we're picking at maybe a smaller matters just to keep on arguing. So it's just a matter of connotation of words. I, I, I understand. I understand what you mean. Uh, and I do think sometimes, I mean, we can we can approach things in such a way as that even if we've got the got the truth on it, we, we can approach it in such a way that the other people won't listen to us if we're not careful. Well, absolutely. Our attitude sometimes speaks louder than what our point is that we're trying to get across. You're, you're so right about that, for sure. Um, what about um, the idea that, um, let me let me read another quote, and I think this is from your book. It says, we've, we've overlooked deeper themes in the Bible that call for compassion and respect where God is open to bringing himself to those outside the faith and receiving people we wouldn't give a second thought to. Mm-hmm. And I believe that is a quote, direct quote from your book. Um, do you really find Christians who, in other words, if this guy's if this guy's a Muslim, I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm not going to try to convert him. I don't want anything to do with him. If he's a Hindu, I'll cross the street to the other side so I don't have to have any interaction. Do you find Christians with... Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm just saying... Like- I'm, I'm saying I don't see Christians that way, but I, maybe your experience is that there are those who have that kind of disposition. No, that may be overstated. I think it may be a valid point that you're making. I do see Christians that stereotype people of um, of other religions. I, I, I think uh, probably Muslims have been victimized more by that, than, uh, and understandably so, given what's happened in the world in the last few years, especially since 9-11. No, but I don't, I don't think Christians, uh, for the most part, are going to be rude to people of other faiths. So I'll have to go back and reconsider that quote. I don't, I don't think they are, but I do think that possibly they do stereotype 
and tend maybe not to give a full hearing to what someone of another faith really wants to say. And, and, and so the element of uh, respect and good dialogue could certainly be enhanced. But no, I, I think you know, the vast majority of Christians are going to be um, kind and helpful to whatever degree they can. So I, I think that's a valid point that you're making. If you could put in, if you could put in a nutshell, Perry, what what would you just to sort of summarize what you think how we ought to approach? Let's say let's say my neighbor's a Muslim, mm-hmm. which is becoming more and more of a of a, a potential. Maybe yes. not so much in Middle Tennessee, but in some parts of the world, that's a great potential that my neighbor is a Muslim. Well, it's true in Middle Tennessee too. I know I'm yeah. interrupting it here, but I, I teach at National State this summer. I've got three classes over there. I've got Muslims in all those classes. And the Kurdish population in the, in Nashville is bigger than the Kurdish population in any other American city. So, uh, and then I learned today there are 1,500 Egyptian families in Nashville. I have an Egyptian who is in uh, one of my classes too. So, uh, I've just been in teaching situations where I've come to interact with with people who are different from Christians. And so, you're quite right. I mean, there's always a chance you're going to have uh, someone moving next door to you that is uh, either totally a totally different religious faith altogether, or maybe doesn't even have a religious faith. Who would? I, I got a message yesterday from a fellow who says I'm an, uh, an atheist, and um, you know, he knew about this book. He said I'd like to. I'd be glad to come to one of your classes, and you and I can have dialogue. And he said I try to be a nice atheist. I don't <laughs> try to argue and be ugly like some of those people out there. But your students might enjoy a good dialogue with between you, that is me, and uh, him as an atheist, and. What would you, if you could summarize, what do you think? Are, what do you think are the ways that you'd want us to approach a potential neighbor who's a Muslim? What would be, uh, based upon your ideas that you've incorporated into this book, what would be your? Well, you don't sacrifice anything about your Christian commitment at all. And I, in terms of how you relate and how you're nice, um, I think we're commanded in Scripture to reach out to uh, the person who is either foreigner or who is different from us. Now, in terms of uh, sharing a faith, I think that once, if you can establish a friendship with that person, a tie of some kind, uh, and this person, he or she, as a Muslim, sees that you're sincere, there can be a place to say, I'd enjoy talking about my faith with you and listening to what you have to say about your faith. And in the case of Muslim, it's going to come down to how you see Jesus. Is what it's going to come exactly down right. To. That's what we ultimately got to discuss with them, right? Yeah, that's true. And, <laughs> and we could use the word "argue" that point, uh, as you said. The word "argue" isn't necessarily a bad word. Uh, if, in a noble way, we could argue our that's case, right. make our case for Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, then we ought to do that. Basically, then I'm taking it that you're really saying we ought to employ the golden rule. In other words, I want him to listen to me yes. explain my faith. And I ought to uh, be willing to do the same for him. That's right. I think that's fair enough. All I right. Really do. do you agree with that? I do. I do. And, and Barry, just to be clear, you, you don't believe that the that the Muslim is in a right relationship with God? No, uh, because the Muslim, as well as nearly anybody else, a Jew, or it, it, this is what is unique about Christianity. And it makes a special faith claim about Jesus. And I'm not saying we can prove this to everybody's satisfaction, but it does make a faith claim about Jesus as being the divine Son of God. And that is a truth that I think that we have to stand behind and we have to proclaim. And, and, and we do that very clearly and forthrightly. So Jews reject Jesus, and the Muslims do too, not in the sense of a historical character. No, they don't do that. Very few people do that. But in terms of a very special claim about who he is as both Lord and Savior, I think that's something... That, that we do say, and, and 
we can invite these people to, uh, to come to our worship assemblies or do other social activities, I suppose, but we don't, we don't consider them to be in fellowship with us. Uh, and when, in terms of just uh, spiritual and religious fellowship, there's, there's, you know, we don't have that in common. And there might be some other ways that we disagree, and if we agreed on Jesus as Son of God, then perhaps we could have some level of fellowship, but, but otherwise we don't. And, and that's the real, uh, that's the real stumbling block. But I'm, I'm, uh, you would want to get across to our listeners then that you're not saying Muslims can come to Jesus through the religion of Islam or that uh, um, Hindus can make it to God through their religion. You're, you're acknowledging that Jesus is the only way to God. Well, that's true. Now, you, you worry the second part of that seems like a little differently. Can they come to Jesus through their religion? Well, they, they cannot come to Jesus through the Quranic teaching. That is in the Quran. They, because in the Quran, uh, so much of that goes along with what is taught in the Bible, and, and Muslims accept most everything that is in the Bible. There's two or three big exceptions. One of them being that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Well, that yes, that is a big one, and also whether Jesus actually died on the cross. And in the Quran, it sort of skips at that point. It doesn't. Uh, it seems to say. Uh, I think it, it got the wording something like this. And the people thought he was crucified, but he was crucified not, or something like, yeah. like that is what it says. So I mean, and so that is major. But otherwise, so much of Quranic teaching is maybe sort of a backup. To, now, now here's another point we would disagree with Muslims, too, and that is they see the Koran as the ultimate and final revelation of God, as given through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. So as Christians, we're going to, we're going to reject that as well. But, but we, would, we would say that, that, let's say I'm trying to convert a Muslim. I, I, I really want him to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe he can only be in heaven because if he believes in Jesus as the Son of God and obeys the gospel. But... I might have a leg up on teaching someone else because the, in the case of the Muslim, at least he understands basic concepts of morality and, and may, in fact, live it, live a moral life more so than many other people out there in the world would be living. Well, I, can't, I can't say amen to that enough. I think yeah. you're, you're quite right. It's been said that one reason uh, the Muslims do a, a pretty effective job of going into men's prisons and converting people, a lot of these are black males who are, there who've done crime and they wind up in a penitentiary, and uh, many of them get converted to the Islamic faith. Well, it's been speculated that a good part of that, one is some may have felt victimized by racism, and some people associate racism with Christianity, at least historically. But another factor is that many of these men are seeing that Muslims do have some discipline, and their um, and their representatives come out and, and teach and proclaim a message of strong. This one and a pure life, and these people that are in prison, they haven't really had that taught to them uh, in, in growing up, and, and it's very appealing. So right. I think you can make a case. I mean, uh, for example, in, in a class I had today at National State, I had a young woman, and, and she was Muslim, and I mean, I could see her face. And she had a really sweet smile, and let's see, I think she was from a country in Africa, but yeah, I don't or, or maybe a Middle Eastern country, I don't know. I've got so many, honestly, I do, but... She was all covered up, and uh, she was introduced by someone in the class and said, well, she was single. So I just said, of course she was smiling and had a great sense of humor. I just said, now let me ask, okay, you're single. When you go out on a date, how do you dress? And I thought people would laugh at that, and she kind of smiled, and she said, I don't go out on a date. I said, oh, oh, so you don't date. My thought was, you know, would she relax a little bit more? Again, all you can see is her face. She had her hood covered, her, 
hair and the back of her head and then her um the other outfit came all the way down to her toes actually so all you could see of her body would be her hands and her face and i've had some muslim women where you couldn't even see all the face all you could do is see the eyes and the top part of the nose so again uh, to me that's extremist but i will say uh for some of them uh, for some of the muslims there is a a, a strong sense of morality and discipline. And you, would, and you would also say you'd have to be really committed to what you believe to, to dress that way and so forth. In other words, it, it, we believe they're wrong on fundamental points, but at least they are committed to what they do believe. Well, true. And, and that's what I meant by saying we can learn from okay. others. Maybe, maybe we learn from them the extent that true uh, commitment can be acted out. Uh, possibly, even in a world that is largely, uh, this sounds like a repetition, but a world that is largely worldly, in other words, in an environment that is very secular, that religious commitment can be, even though this young woman was the only one in that class that way, but she had no fear of anyone uh, making fun of her, or in my case, a gentle, uh, uh, respectful kind of teasing and just asking her some questions. And and next time in class, she'll she'll be dressed the same way, I'm sure. Right. Well, Perry, we've kept you a little longer than we intended, but we appreciate you spending some time with us, and I hope that we've gotten a good handle on what you are saying. I, I think, as I told you before we went on the air, I think maybe some people have maybe misinterpreted the tone of the book, uh, especially from the, the review of it that was in the Tennessean, but I hope we've got a better handle on what you are saying about uh, these different worldviews and different world religions, and we appreciate you taking some time to, to talk with us about this. Well, I appreciate you giving a call, and I hope some of your listeners might just say, hey, get a copy of that and read the whole thing. It does have a lot of, and this is a biased opinion, of course, but I think <laughs> the book does have a lot of content to it, a lot of substance and a lot of information. That I know you can, can you can get it at Amazon.com. Abilene Christian University Press is the publisher, and you can get it at their bookstore, too. Yeah, that, that's true. They have a website yeah. uh, that you can go on to and, and, and order the book that way, and hopefully a, a, a number of Christian bookstores will have copies of that as well. So, But but it does have, I think, a fair amount of information in it. And for those that think some of that's a little bit heavy, I tried to conclude each chapter with devotional thoughts. And I was thinking maybe preachers and ministers and teachers like yourselves and others who want to teach classes and want to have something of a devotional approach can, can use that material at the end of each chapter uh, to, to add a devotional approach and just see how Christianity is unique. And that's the message we have to get across, how how Christianity makes a unique claim, and we're not God to pass final judgment on others, especially those that never heard of Jesus, but we're in a position and we have a commission to go out and proclaim what we believe about Jesus and let people make their own decisions. That's right, that. and as you said, we can't compromise that in any way. I, uh, yes, I would agree with that totally. Thank you, Perry. Thanks for spending time with us. Okay, Greg, you're welcome, and I uh, hope your ministry goes well. Thank, Thank you, Perry. Perry. The book is One World, Many Neighbors, A Christian's Perspective on Worldviews, and you can find that on Amazon. We do appreciate Perry for being a part of the program tonight. We're past due for a break. We'll take that break now, and when we get back, we'll hopefully hear from you at 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Hello everyone, I'm Wade Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. 
But regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that He commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're part of it. We hope you will participate uh, had some comments there that sound like you were in a closet while you were talking with uh, Perry. We had some telephone. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have our best telephone connection going. We didn't have our best setup tonight, but uh, we're better, we're back now and hopefully sounding better. And we're looking forward to hearing from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu dot com. Joining us in the studio tonight, a member of the congregation here at College U, Bob Tidwell is here. Bob's been on before. Bob's joining us tonight to help with the discussion. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the program. It's good to be with you all tonight. Appreciate you being here tonight. Jacob, I think that uh, as a result of talking to Perry Cotham there, uh, we realized that I think we, we assumed that there might be a difference uh, in, in what we were saying, but I don't think there maybe the difference was as critical as what we might have imagined based upon that review that we read in the Tennessean. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I have to agree with a lot of Perry's points. Uh the presentation of it, at least in the in the, in the Tennessee, in the review, was uh, that of the general consensus of our population is that that everybody's okay and we need to just all learn to get along. Yeah, and we can't get. I mean, we can't get along in the sense of a spiritual fellowship with people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. We uh, th- that would be the that would be a foundation. That wouldn't be the whole of what has to we have to be in agreement. But it would certainly be the foundation of what we have to be in agreement about before we can have fellowship. And so with those of other world religions, uh, the, the, the Muslims, the Hindus, uh, uh, and so forth, the Jews, you know, we have, to, we have to agree that Jesus is the only way to the Father in heaven. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, that's a very exclusive statement on the part of Jesus and we just simply can't compromise that point. But I didn't get the idea that he was trying to do that, Jacob. No, and uh, there certainly are admirable characteristics about other faiths. But those admirable characteristics do not overcome the fact that those faiths are an error, and God will hold and them And the account. proponents of those religions without repentance will be lost. That, 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 that's the, the ultimate follow-up on that. But, you know, I mean... I've known a number of atheists. I've made several trips to Russia and met a lot of atheists that I respected as people. They were nice, decent people, and you might learn something from them. You know, you might learn something about um, courtesy, kindness, neighborliness. You know, they're just doing it because it's, it's you know, uh, something that they do. But then you might learn how to be a better neighbor from somebody who isn't even who is even an atheist. But that doesn't mean that. We can acknowledge the atheist is in a saved or right situation. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul spoke to this in Galatians 1, verse 6, beginning, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into another into the grace of Christ, into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. And so, Dad, even if we acknowledge that uh, Christ is the Son of God, but pervert that gospel and change it and tweak it just ever so slightly... 
uh, we are accursed, and those who would follow us would be accursed as well. And so any faith that uh, does not acknowledge uh, Christ and his teachings is a faith that uh, should not be followed. That's right. But there are, as uh, Mr. Cotham uh, admitted, there are uh, admirable characteristics. Uh, Bob, you know, you talked about that woman who was interested in uh, modesty and covering her body and to the extent that she only allowed her face to be seen and her hands. That's admirable that she's that concerned about that. When we talk about uh, modesty with Christians today, uh, and if we were to make a claim that they needed to just cover certain parts of their body, not even to that extent, they would ridicule us and scorn us and uh, say that we're being too extreme. Yeah, that's exactly right. But we need to all realize that God's word is the ultimate uh, mind of God, and that's what we've got to strive to understand is his mind. That's exactly right. But I'm like you, Jacob. I, I, I'll just take that modesty question. I think you could learn that. He, uh, Perry acknowledged that he thought that, that perhaps her style of dress was extreme, at least in our culture, it would be considered extreme. There's parts of the world where it'd be considered absolutely normal. But you could talk to that gal that he was describing and talk about modesty, and she would have a lot better attitude toward dealing with that subject than a lot of people. I mean, even even people who call themselves Christians. I, I've, I've had episodes where people would just get absolutely belligerent with even the suggestion that you could say that kind of clothes is wrong, you can't wear that. You ought to wear more than that. You shouldn't be showing that part of your body and so forth. And I've had people call, who call themselves Christians who just absolutely lose it. They just blow up over that. And so yeah, if Perry Cotham says, we can learn from the Muslim about attitudes toward modest dress. I'm willing to say, yeah, we can learn, and, and there is something to learn there. All right. Yeah, you know, their, their attitude is uh, we're going to try and make sure without a doubt that we're covering and a lot of Christians uh, have the attitude, we're going to make sure without a doubt that we don't cover anything that we don't have to. We're going to see how much we can expose and get by with. That's the unfortunate attitude of a lot of Christians. And and I, I don't doubt, and this has been pointed out by a lot of commentators on the radio and TV, that a lot of parts of the world, especially Muslim parts of the world, look on the United States with disdain because they see the rampant immorality of our culture. And... and I'd have to say they're right about that. Yeah, I don't want to try and repeat the guy's name, but the guy that was on trial today, uh, but uh, I got three initials for him. Yeah. I don't know some acronym. But. Muhammad Sheikh, uh, what was it? He's the guy yeah, down. Yeah. He's, he's at he's at Guantanamo in Cuba, and they got him on trial for the nine eleven. Yeah, and you, uh, I don't know if you heard in the news, but he went on a Khalid Sheikh Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. That's it. KSM. Yeah, yeah. There you go. He went on a, a tirade at, during his trial today. Did you hear about this? And uh, and he uh, he ridiculed us for allowing same sex marriage. And so uh, we are we're repulsive to God for the the tolerance that we have in our society. We're repulsive to other people, including uh, those of the Muslim faith. And so we could learn from that as well. That's exactly right. So I'm glad we had a chance to talk to Perry Cotham about that because. Hopefully that clears up in, in people's minds a little bit about what he's saying, because I don't think that came across very well. I have not had a chance to read the book yet, but it, in the reviews that I'm reading of it, it didn't come across clearly that that was the point he was making, but I can wholeheartedly agree with that kind of a point. All right. Uh, we are up against a break, and let's take it now, and we'll come back. We'll let you join in on the discussion at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues after these messages. Are you listening? 
There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There's a natural tendency to compare ourselves to those who are around us. The result is a general conformity with the norms of the society in which we live. How we dress, talk, and act are affected to various degrees by what we observe in others. This conformity is not all bad. It makes it possible for us to relate to those within our circle of influence. Paul said that, quote, unto the Jews I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. I have made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 20 and following. A social oddball or misfit will have little ability to influence others in any positive way. A problem arises when we take this comparing and conforming too far. We are warned to, quote, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, verse 2. The danger is that we will begin to imitate the people around us in ways that lead to sinful thoughts and actions. For example, we can talk, dress, and act like those in our society, but only insofar as it does not violate God's law. Stylish clothes are not wrong, but immodest ones are. Using popular phrases and expressions is okay, but not if they convey an evil message. Ultimately, it becomes a matter of authority. What is your standard? How do you determine what is right and wrong? If societal norms constitute your highest authority, then you will be carried along with whatever becomes popular. This will inevitably lead to sinful choices. For instance, the popular culture would have condemned homosexuality 25 years ago. Today, it is widely accepted. The Bible, though, has never changed in its denunciation of this sin. Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, quote, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Let's be sure that we evaluate our spiritual standing before God, not by the ever-changing popular trends, but by the absolute and unchangeable standard of His Word. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we do, and we appreciate you for being with us tonight. Please join in on the discussion as we talk about the fact that many in the world today are saying that uh, I'm okay, you're okay, that we need to embrace uh, those who are of different faiths and accept them. And the Bible very clearly teaches us that we do not need to be open-minded in that sense. So there are things that we can learn from others, but the acceptance of others as everybody's right is physically impossible. We wouldn't assume that about any other uh, subject, but we want to assume it about religion. It is impossible for everyone to be right, and we need to understand that we must believe in what the Bible teaches in order to be pleasing to God. Exactly right. You know, we say about other th- elements of truth mathematical truth you can't have two answers to the same question and both be right and we think that's the same thing about religious truth there are not multiple answers to basic religious questions there is a right way and we've got to be in that straight and narrow way that jesus described matthew chapter 7 verses 13 14 the broad way leads to destruction many there be which go in there at because straight is the way and narrow is the path that leads to life eternal and few there be that find it jesus said Jesus said the minority of the world's population is going to be saved, not the majority. Yeah, Bob, you, the the world tells us today that everybody basically is going to go to heaven as long as you don't murder or uh, do something horrible, you're going to go to heaven. But the Bible tells us there's going to be just a few there. That's correct. Um, like, for instance, you were talking about the, the rule of uh, law of mathematics. 
a good example of that to tie it in with the, the scriptures that uh, even here in the United States, many religious people believe in salvation, but not based upon scripture. For instance, in uh, Mark sixteen sixteen, at before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he who does not believe shall be condemned. Well, that's like a, a math formula. It's saying uh, one plus one results in two. Well, you have belief and baptism. You could put that in a math formula because you've got belief and is a conjunction word that connects the two together, resulting in what? Well, salvation. Well, that's like saying one and one is two. But yet we have so many in our country that uh, would fall short on the necessity of baptism for salvation. Well, and if we would get away from the rhetoric that m- seeks to muddy up the situation for us, Dad, just on very basic terms, uh, Christianity says that Jesus is the Son of God. The Islamic religion says that Jesus is not the Son of God. And yet people want to tell us that everyone is right and that you can find God in any religion. How can we say that they say one thing and uh, the others say something 180 degrees apart and that we're both right. How can that be? Jesus said in John 8:24, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. That's what Jesus said. Now, that being the case, if we believe Jesus and we believe what he said, then Muslims are not going to go to heaven in that religion. Jews are not going to go to heaven practicing that religion. We've got to acknowledge that. I mean, I think some people are, and, and by the way, we're not saying Perry Cotham is backing away from that because he said specifically that he was not. But there are people, there are plenty of people in the religious world who are backing away saying, well, you know, you, it, it's, a, it's a way to God. You know, these different religions are just another path, another means to attain toward God. They're not. I was speaking with a premillennialist recently, and he said that uh, that Israel was still God's chosen people, that God still had favor towards Israel. There are Christians today, or people who proclaim to be, uh, proclaim to be Christians, who believe that God still has shows favor towards uh, the children of Israel, and that they can be in a right relationship with him. When Jesus said very clearly, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. So even people who profess to be Christians are denying what Jesus said and saying that God's okay with people who deny the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, uh, the apostles said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, only the name of Jesus. Jacob, earlier today we sent out, as we always do, our questions to our update list. We always remind you, if you're not on that list and want to be, send us a message to questions at collegeview.com. Remember, College View spelled a little funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, College View, V-U-E. College View, at, uh, so that's questions at collegeview.com. Just send us a message, put in the subject line if you like, add me to your list, and we'll do that. But here's the questions we sent out earlier today. Number one, what's the correct biblical view toward Islam and other world religions, and how should we relate to people who have those belief systems? That was number one. Number two, what are some of the wrong responses that are sometimes evident toward those of other faiths? And we got some response to that. We'd be glad to get your response to it as well. I thought uh, I thought our friend Stephen up in Pennsylvania had a couple of good points. He says, what's the right way? Number one, being open-minded and accepting a doctrine, whether false or not, are two different things. In other words, being open-minded and accepting the doctrine, that's not the same thing. He says, I will not accept a different doctrine that falls outside the scriptures uh, We uh, that would turn us away from 
as we are to turn away from those who come from a different gospel. Galatians 1, 6 or 9. Jacob, you read that earlier. After all, there is only one faith and one body. Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. However, I will be open-minded toward an individual with any different belief and would have a study with them, given that the individual was willing to discuss, discuss Scripture, even their own book that they based their belief from. I would hear that person out. If that person was not willing to hear after the second admonition, then I would reject them, Titus 3, 9, 3, or 11. We cannot teach people if we are closed-minded and not willing to hear them. After all, they may have truth, but they have to back it up with Scripture. I would relate to these people in the same manner that I would relate to a brother in Christ with love. So basically, he's saying, you know, if we want them to hear us, we should extend the same courtesy and hear them. I don't have any problem. I agree with you, Stephen. I, no, there's an old expression, Bob, the truth has nothing to fear from investigation. And so if I'm talking to a Muslim, I really believe I have the truth. I'm not afraid of what he has to say. I, I believe what I believe. I believe it is the truth. And so I don't have to be afraid to talk with him about it. He's not going to say something that's going to challenge him. I've, I've studied and learned and understand what I believe and why. The, the truth doesn't fear an investigation. That's correct. Uh, truth, the truth stands on its own. And we might say the same thing about a person that we believe was involved in some kind of denominational or calling themselves Christians but not following the gospel of Christ. We we really look forward to opportunity to talk to people like that, and we should do so. All right. Um, Stephen goes on in the second question, what would be some of the wrong ideas toward people of other faith systems? He says, uh, flatly rejecting what people believe when you may not fully understand what they believe. Another wrong response is to fully accept the different faith if we know nothing or even little about why they believe that. We must be willing to test the spirits, First John 4, verse 1. In my experience, each person has a different belief, no matter how minor. I've been trying to have a Bible study with a girl that's a Hindu, yet believes in Christ, but also believes in Allah and many other gods. Most Hindus would not believe in Christ or Allah. That just shows that pre- preconceived notions will not get you far. So Stephen says two wrong things. First of all, to just reject them as having nothing to say. Secondly, to believe everything they say without without challenge uh so sort of two ends of the spectrum there all right jim in mount pleasant tennessee in answer to question number one what is the correct biblical view towards islam and other world religions and how should we relate to people who have those belief systems he says islam clearly teaches that jesus was nothing more than a prophet but that muhammad is the final and greatest prophet it teaches that god though uh through muhammad provided the final revelation to God of God to man. Hence, Islam rejects Jesus as Christ, rejects his teaching, his gospel, his redeeming blood. In short, all that God provides for all men everywhere to be saved is rejected by Islam. How should we relate? How can we relate? Islam rejects all that God has done to provide for the redemption of all mankind. We sh- What we should do is try to teach them the saving gospel, condemn the teachings of Muhammad, and obey God's word, as found in First Timothy chapter two verses one through four, and pray for all men that they might be saved by the gospel. In answer to number two of your question tonight, Dad, what are some of the wrong responses that are sometimes evident towards those of other faith? He says to refuse to study with them would to be wrong. Uh, the only way that they are going to learn the one truth of Jesus as Christ is for us to teach them. It is a wrong response to give them a false hope that we somehow think they are going to be led to God or to see them as simply people of another faith, which is pleasing to God. They are wrong, and they need to be kindly yet sincerely taught the truth of the gospel. Thank you, Jim. I think Jim's right. They're wrong. We've got to acknowledge that they're wrong. If we believe what we believe, then what they believe is wrong. We both can't be right. 
they're wrong, but I like what Jim says. We need to be kind and sincere and teach them the truth of the gospel. We got a, we've got a really hard message from Don in Antioch, Tennessee. Uh, and Don, Don's not going to agree with us probably in the long run on, on, on this approach, but here's what he had to say. Now, I think this, this may be, and he, he, uh, may be manifesting sort of the attitude that, that, uh, Perry Cotham was writing about in his book. We'll see. See what you think. Don says, the correct big biblical view is that they are potentially vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and will go straight to hell if their belief excludes Jesus. And this includes a multitude of professed Christians who are worshiping another Jesus and another gospel. As potential vessels of mercy, we should relate to them only with the goal of teaching and converting. If our approach is to learn from them, we give them the hope of being able to teach and convert us. There are plenty of books available to learn what little we need to know about other faiths. Why should I waste my time being an expert on other faiths when I need more time to study my own? Well, I can agree with Don in this sense. Uh, first of all, I don't care if they have a hope of converting me. They probably do. I don't care if they have a – they're not going to convert me because I'm – I feel strongly about what I believe, and I believe it based upon my study and, a, and an examination of the evidence that supports what I believe. So I don't care if they have a hope of trying to convert me while I'm trying to convert them. That may be what motivates them to continue to talk with me. That's okay with me. He says that he wouldn't. He says he could read a book to learn what little he needs to know about those other faiths. I, I don't know. I don't really agree. I think the more we know, the better we're we're armed to try and teach those who don't understand the truth about Jesus. So, but, I, but to his defense, we don't need to spend a lot of time uh, studying from the Quran. It's not going to do us any good to study from the Quran. Exactly right. And here's here's the thing I really do agree with about Don and uh, Don's comments. We've got the truth. Once we've got the truth, we don't have to be searching every other thing to see if it's the truth once we're convinced that we've got the truth about jesus once we've got the right answer we don't have to read every other book in the world to see if there's an answer in there that we hadn't thought of you agree, you agree with me Bob? Uh, that's correct so in other words i don't like you said jay i don't have to read the whole quran from cover to cover i never have i've read i've read segments of the quran but not the whole i, I remember one time someone says how do you know the quran's not right if you haven't read it from cover to cover and I said, the reason I know it's not right is because the Bible is right, and that's not the Bible. And someone said, well, what about the Book of Mormon? If you haven't read it from cover to cover, the Pearl of Great Price, the other writings of Joseph Smith, how do you know that's not from God if you haven't read it? Well, the reason I know it's not from God is because it's, it's not Scripture. And the same we, way you could know if a book I wrote was from God, you could read the first sentence of it and tell it until God uh, but, wouldn't have written something like that. But the fact of the matter is I don't, I don't even have to read the first sentence because God's revelation is full and complete and finished I don't have to be waiting for every new book to be published and read it to make a determination on that book as to whether it's some new message from God. I don't have to do that. Once I've got the truth of God, and I know that I do, then I don't have to be an expert in every other book that comes off the printing presses. To that extent, I agree with Don. I think Don's wording here is a little harsh, but I I agree uh, with some some of his thoughts. He says... Some of the wrong responses that we give to, could give to others, he says, that we all serve the same God. We don't serve the same God. And I, for that matter, I don't believe, uh, and I'm not sure Perry Cotham would agree with, uh, I may disagree with what I mean is with Perry Cotham on this idea of Allah. I don't think Allah is the God of the Bible. Now, I think the Muslims try to tell us that he is, but I think there's a distinct difference between the characters of the characteristics of the God of the Bible and the characteristics of Allah as are conveyed in, in the Quran. And so I 
Well, the, God, not, of, the God of the Koran wrote the Koran, and the yeah. God of the Bible didn't write the Koran. Yeah, the, the Muslims tell us it's the same God, but I'm not really willing to grant that point. He says it would be wrong to say that God presents himself to different people in different ways. And I, I think that would also be wrong. Jacob, we got one more email here from Patrick. Go ahead. Uh, Patrick uh, says that the Orthodox Christian view requires that we believe that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ and other religions have, at best, only partial truth. This is aside from the question of which church is the right one. In relating to people of other religions, we should treat those who have different beliefs with respect, first of all. Regardless of anyone's religious beliefs, we should treat all people as we would want to be treated ourselves. This is true whether we are working with them at our jobs, meet them in a restaurant, or if they live next door. If there is a discussion about belief or practice, we should be ready to defend and explain our teachings, and we should be willing to listen when they speak. Why should we expect them to listen to us when we speak if we are unwilling to extend that courtesy to them? Listening does not require us to agree, but it demonstrates respect. Uh, I agree with that. We and we should be. We got nothing to lose from listening. I mean, as I said earlier, we we don't. We got the truth. Truth doesn't fear investigation. We can we can hear what they have to say and respect. Uh, show them basic courtesy and respect. Keep that door of communication open to teach them the truth. All right. What are some wrong of the wrong responses that are sometimes evident towards those of other faiths? Patrick says, I think the wrong responses are those that err too far in either direction. On one hand, some people believe that all religions are equally valid or that truth is subjective or relative. In the other direction are those people who believe that truth matters but are arrogant and look down upon anyone who disagrees with them. Sometimes this is expressed violently against others, or it may be more subtle as forms of discrimination. Perhaps it manifests as fear of anyone who is different. So, again, we, we wouldn't want to say, well, I'm right, and there's no way in, in the world that I'll consider anything else, and maybe it's what Patrick's alluding to there. Um, and we don't want to say, well, I'm okay, you're okay, but we also don't want to say I'm right and everybody else is wrong without considering the fact that we could be wrong and being open to correction. That's right. I think we should be firm in our faith. We should be very strong. Bob, I think we should really believe what we believe because we've spent some time developing that faith. But we should never reach the point where we say, I don't have anything to learn. Yeah, we're always learning. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, God charges us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> exactly right. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we, uh, you know, I've asked, I've asked the question of people before, is it, you, you know everything? And, and, you know, usually, typically, I won't ask for a show of hands, uh, but I say, I, I'm, I'm willing to ask for a show of hands. Anybody here thinks they got all the answers? And, of course, no one ever raises their hands because we've got to admit that we're still learning, we're still working at it, we're still trying to come to a deeper and fuller knowledge of the truth. All right, we'll take a short break and come back. We'll have a little bit of time to take your thoughts. Join in on the discussion now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. 
Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of the Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back. Want to uh, let you know that you can participate in the program tonight by dialing 877-381-4567 or emailing questions at collegeview.com. As we look at our attitude towards those of other faiths, we understand it is important that we are respectful to them and we're kind. Uh, and we be open to the fact that we could be wrong in certain areas, but we also need to understand the importance of uh, the fact that if we do not follow what God has revealed to us within the scriptures, within the Bible, uh, that we're going to be lost, Bob, and there's no way around that. Uh, God has been very clear that we've got to be in submission to his instruction book that he's revealed to us. Well, that's correct. Uh, we need to strive to respect God, first and foremost. And to do that is to understand what he has in revealed to mankind. And it's all the same direction. There's nothing in there that's confusing. God is not an author of confusion. And he's uh, brought out point blank how he wants true worshipers to worship him, and that is in spirit and in truth. And you talk about respect. We show respect for God when we submit to his instructions. We say God is worthy of following his instructions, and I'm going to follow his instruction, and therefore I respect him. Just like your, your sons, if you give them instructions, they don't uh, follow that instruction, then they show no respect for you. Uh, that's correct. All right. Jacob, I think it's a worthwhile experience or worthwhile exercise, maybe mental exercise for us to think about how would you go about. We've been talking about the Muslims tonight, that they don't acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. So let's say you're studying with someone who doesn't believe that truth, be it a Muslim or an atheist or a Jew, because they're not believing that. They're not believing that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. What would you do and what line of reasoning would you use if you had that chance, now we've already talked about what our right approach ought to be. We ought to be kind, respectful, courteous, sincere, but we ought to be dogmatic about the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. We, we cannot compromise that. So how are we going to convince these people that Jesus is the Son of God? And as, as you think about that, what kind of, what kind of points would you make? I, first of all, I'd want to make the point that that's who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God in passages like John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, John 10, verses 30 through 33, and so forth. So Jesus, if he's not the Son of God, then he's a fake, a phony, a fraud. He's he's not a good man. He's a deceiver and a liar, and we ought to throw it out. You know, you can't, a, how can the Muslims and the Jews say that Jesus was a good man? He's a liar, if, if yeah. the Muslims and the Jews yeah. are correct. So my first point would be Jesus made the claim, and it's either true or he's a, he's a phony. Then I would go to some of the some of the evidence that the Bible conveys to us about proving that. 
First of all, his sinless life. We could talk about his sinless life. We don't have much time to do that. We could talk about the miracles he performed. Bob, the miracles were for the purpose of proving him be the Son of God. Yeah, and you could also add in his fulfilling the prophecies. Exactly right. There's something like 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled them, everyone, in great detail. And then, of course, the ultimate proof of Jesus, the Son of God, is his resurrection. In Romans chapter uh, 1, verse 4, Paul said he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And so... Um, those are the kind of things that I would use to argue that Jesus is who he said he was, and he is the only way to the Father in heaven. All right. And uh, when you find that, Dad, you can be confident that you found the truth. When you find the one who claims to be the Son of God, then we don't have to look for another. Exactly right. So here comes along a guy. Let's, and there, there have been, I suppose, thousands of people false Christ who came along and claimed they were the Son of God. Do it. Let's say some guy shows up right here in Columbia, Tennessee tomorrow, and he says, I am Jesus Christ. And you should believe me, and you should do what I'm telling you to do. There've been plenty of people through history who did that. Do I have to? Do I have to go and diligently seek that guy out and really study his claim and really look to see if he is potentially Jesus? No, I already know who Jesus is. I don't. I, and 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 so in that way, I would agree with Don Pack in his his uh, email that he sent earlier. I don't have to. I don't have to investigate that guy because I know he's not who he says he is. Because I know who is the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. All right. Certainly so. And uh, we can have confidence in that, Dad, and we need to teach that to others. We shouldn't be accepting of those who reject Christ as the Son of God. Uh, we ought to just uh, make sure that we are willing to teach them, Bob, because it's important. If they reject Jesus as the Son of God, then the Bible is clear. They cannot be right with God. That's right. Well, Jesus even said if they don't receive the word, you know, basically dust off your shoes and go on someone else okay. that we're here that's right and and but i believe i do believe it's it's worthwhile to think about how we would approach that we don't get that opportunity to study that basic elementary truth about jesus and god we don't get a chance to study that with unbelievers very often but we need to be prepared to be able to do that we it's, may be able to do it more in the future as uh our our country comes more diverse that's exactly right as as, as perry cotham was mentioning he, he's he's in contact through the university setting with lots of of people coming from parts of the world where they do not believe in Jesus. So our, our exposure to them will get greater, not less, over time. All right. Well, Bob, thank you for being a part of the program tonight. It's good to be here. And, Dad, we want to say thank you to Perry Cotham taking time out of his uh, anniversary evening to be yeah. a part of the program. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate all who are listening and all who have joined in the virtual Bible study tonight. Keep it as a regular Thursday night appointment. Mark your calendar. Set your, set your weekly alarm. You know, you can do that on your on your cell phone, set your alarm on your cell phone to go off at just a few minutes before 8 o'clock Central Time to remind you to rush to the computer and get logged into the stream so you can be a part of the virtual Bible study every week. And we have the virtual Bible study every week because we believe it is important what we believe and our understanding of God's will for us. That's why we take time uh, throughout the week and on Thursday night especially to take time to study God's word and understand it because it is important what we believe and what we practice and that's what this program is all about. If you're listening to this program in the recorded archive version, we remind you our website is collegeview.com. You can find out more about the College View Church of Christ there. Or you can contact us anytime throughout the weeks with your questions or comments about any of our past programs, regardless of when you may listen to this program. If you have any questions about the things we have said, you can contact us via email, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a call at 877 877- 
381-4567. We look forward to hearing from you. We encourage you to be back next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.